Welcome everyone to True Exact Show. I'm here with Dan, Brian, and Eric, and our special guest tonight, West Coast legend, at least in my eyes. Uh, we've, I've, been, I've known him, followed him since 07 in the WRCs. It's uh, the one, the only, lush one. How you doing, buddy? Thanks for joining us. Man, it's great to be here. It's, it's a beautiful thing to be able to provide entertainment to people during this pandemic when everybody's stuck at the crib and going through this... Uh, turbulent and brave new world and uh having being a, a source of light so to speak during these uh during this time and helping people traverse that murky waters you know what i mean that's amazingly put by you actually the best <laughs> that was the greatest intro yeah yeah i wasn't expecting that right out the gate but okay <laughs> had to do it to him Amazing, man. Right, um, you know, we're going to get into uh, battle rap, and you you were in the WRCs in 2007. You're hosting your music. But, I mean, before we do that, I like to personally get into the people I grew up with uh, watching and their past and how they got into music. I like to know about how you guys got into it all. So if you want to talk about uh, your upbringing, how you actually got into hip-hop or music in general, man. So growing up in Los Angeles, California, um, born in the early 80s. I got two older brothers. One of my older brothers showed me iced tea when I was like four years old. I heard uh, six in the morning. And I don't know if when my mom was pregnant, she had uh, headphones up to her stomach with <laughs> that just played Parliament Funkadelic drum breaks on a loop or what it was, but I just got um, transfixed by that. And uh, always having an interest in poetry, it just, it, it just made sense and was uh, writing my own raps since the early 90s, really. Jeez. So when you were writing them, um, was there any, I knew you mentioned Ice T, but was there anyone you tried to like emulate as far as like the, a person you heard, like, I don't wanna write my bar structure like that? Well, just cause they were like the same age as me at the time, I was really into crisscross. Right. It was like a awesome. huge influence, awesome. you know what I mean? Like heard Jump by crisscross and set it off. I had the whole cross colors fit, you know what I mean? The, Did the you wear your pants hat. backwards? Did you have I had to flip the pants and all that. Oh. I, was like, I always, I always did it on ten. So yeah. I go. have to message you a photo I took probably fifteen years ago where I did dress like crisscross, just and it was amazing. Uh, but totally crossed out. Very underrated album and and shame was an amazing song. It's a shame yeah. or whatever. Fuck yeah, I was a big fan of I Missed the Bus. That was oh, a big yeah. one. I know every word to that right now. I could actually rap it if you want me to, but we won't go there. <laughs> I was the, we'll I was the first one. kid in my uh. class that could say, wicked, 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 whack. <laughs> you know, like, that was like a big, it was like, oh, say that shit. They don't get the don't flowers they deserve, there. man. They don't get the flowers they deserve. And I think one of them passed away probably like eight years ago. Facts. Right? R.I.P. Uh, I, I, was it Mac Daddy or Daddy Mac? I'm not sure which one. But, uh, uh, it was the – I'd hate to say it like this. It was the the darker one. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, – that's Mac Daddy, R.I.P. Mac Daddy. Okay. Oh, I thought their names were Chris and Cross. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're, I think they're both named Chris. It was Chris actually. C. and Chris K. Yeah. So I okay. can't believe we just delved down a crisscross route here. Mandatory. Now that we got the important stuff out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Les, you started writing, um, like, what, 13 or in the early 90s? Even, no. Younger than that. I was like, I'm, I had a, I wrote, like, my first verse. I was in third grade. Wow. How yeah. bad was it? Do you remember the line? I remember it, actually. Um, it was called Nick's Poem. And it went, uh, it was terrible. But like, the thing is, I'll say this, I had like little baby multi-syllabic rhyme schemes before I even knew what it was. Good. So Nick's poem goes, when you hear Nick's poem, you'll get the kicks, Holmes. Wow. Nick thinks Mussolini drove a Lamborghini and wore a bikini. You think that's wrong? You're a ding dong. You think that's lame? You're Saddam Hussein. You say no chance, you're in a trance. Can you please get that tattooed on your back? I know. There are probably some bitches that got it tatted on their ass already. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's way better than the first rap I ever wrote. So, you know what? I can't even knock it. Did you submit that for like a, a third grade um, poem essay? Actually, so I wrote it in computer class where we're like learning how to, and this is like, like I said, the early 90s. So we're on like the Apple 2GS, you feel me? Like yeah. super ancient. This is pre-internet and all that. Where floppy disks were actually like 
floppy. They were the big floppy disks. Yeah. And um, yeah, I was supposed to be doing something else, and I wrote that rap. Mavis Beacon teaches typing. That was our computer. Mavis stuff. Beacon. Yeah. <laughs> Best teacher I ever had. Yeah. <laughs> Oregon Trail, all that. Oregon yeah. Trail. So yeah. how, how did you get into the battling then? How did that come up? Well, you know, growing up in L.A., that L.A.'s always been, the West Coast in general, has been, been a, a mecca for freestyle rap. Um, obviously, you know, like KRS-One said, the East created it, the West decorated it. And although, like, the West Coast is predominantly known for gangster rap, like the whole Off the Dome, there's a rich history of Off the Dome freestyle rapping that goes back to, you know... Uh, Freestyle Fellowship, Project Blow, uh, legendary venues like the Good Life Cafe. And so just kind of having that culture around me and having a bunch of people like, you know, there's at school, there'd be a bunch of people freestyling. And it was all about just um, pushing the pushing the extent of your artistry and your creativity, trying to get attention from all the people watching and particularly girls. So it's like people are going to be busting little lines about each other. And I was like, hey. This, this is me right here. And um, it was crazy because at that time, you know, there, there wasn't really, this is pre-Eminem, you know, like the only examples of a white rapper, there's like Vanilla Ice, there's Third Base and the Beastie Boys. And like that's, and, and most people didn't eat, like Beastie Boys are super alternative. They had already been doing some funky, like other stuff by then. And, uh, you know, Third Base people, most people, unless you're really into hip hop culture, aren't even familiar with them. So it was like kind of, Beyond, like, taboo, it was just, like, not even seen. So I stood out. There wasn't that many uh, white boys doing it like that. So I want, I want to say I had to be extra sharp because people would think it was some kind of a joke at first. But then when they saw that I was taking it seriously and actually had, like, you know, talent as far as lyricism was concerned, it would be like, okay. Right. And we, we've discussed this before with a couple of the artists we've had on who are our age and your age as well. Brian and I rap. And when like it feels like the white dudes, which is great, are more accepted now. It's actually like more <laughs> inclusive towards like when you were rapping, especially it got right after eight mile. We, we were in high school at like 15, 16. You really had to bring it. Like, if you were white, right. you had to bring it. And now it's almost like it doesn't even matter, which is great. It's extremely inclusive. So mm -hmm. I, I could imagine being out in L.A., you know, where at that time you, you probably had, like, Death Row was was big. Right. Crooked Eye was just coming up, who, by the way, I love Crooked Eye. Right. But, um, yeah, so to be, like, a white dude, you know, you go in there and spit Nick's poem, you had to, like, bring it extra hard, right? <laughs> yeah. 100%. It was uh, to even go to the environments – and be in the circles where that art form was even being practiced. I had to, because it, it's weird. LA is one of the most multicultural cities in the world, but it's also really segregated. You know what I mean? Like, like East LA is predominantly Latino, South Central LA pre predominantly black, the West side of town where I'm from predominantly white. And you have like um, sprinkles of all the different, now it's way more mixed than it ever was it's due to gentrification and all that. But at the time, like it was crazy. So being, so in, in order to fully immerse myself in, um, in hip hop culture, I had to literally like transcend physical, physical boundaries and like go to parts of town where white people were getting looked crazy at, you know what I mean? So it was, uh, I'll tell you this though. I never felt threatened. I never felt fear in those environments. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was able to succeed. Like I, I actually felt more embraced and included by, you know, the black and Latino community than I ever did. I felt like I really found my place, found my voice amongst them more than I ever did around white folks. Right, that's really cool. Um, I just have like one more question, then I'll pass it along to some of you guys. Um, you, when you got into the battle scene out on the West Coast, you had some heavyweights out there, whether it's No Can Do, Thesaurus, um, I, I just just to name a couple off the top of my head. How did that work out? Like, did you were you up and coming battling with these guys, or you saw mm -hmm. them and then you were like, I need to step my shit up? Because whether or not you you like No Can or Thesaurus, I mean, especially No Can off the top of the head. Like, just incredible, you know? Yeah, those dudes were definitely a huge influence, uh, great friends of mine. At, so, like, I thought for a while, 
and I had been in a few little local competitions, was doing my thing, and was battling everybody around where I was at. At the time, uh, I had moved up north to Oakland, to the Bay Area, and up there, like, I thought that I was the nicest <laughs> around, and then um, at one of the tournaments I'm, I was at, I met a dude named Philip Drummond, who's from New York and a really dope producer and curator of events. He curated a lot of freestyle battle events. And he, he was the first person to show me thesaurus pass, no can do all Franco. And I was instantly blown away to see that there were other fools that were equal to me, if not better. Mm. And that was like served as a huge catalyst for me wanting to just step it up. Right, that's really fucking cool. Cool. So yeah, we I think we had the source on. He mentioned Philip Drummond in those events. So that's awesome how you guys were all there together. Uh, yeah, no, it was a real renaissance at the time. Yeah, it seems it. A lot of talent, really big talent pool there, especially Pass, very underrated battler. Yeah, and and Pass, like he was like thirteen, fourteen years old when I first mm -hmm. met him. You know, like like he's about six years younger than me. So it was insane to see. And, and also in Oakland where, you know, Oakland's known for like mob raps, pimp raps, real like real grimy hustler music. So you, there wasn't that many other, aside from like, you know, the legends, like, you know, hieroglyphics, living legends, those type of dudes. There wasn't really, I didn't really have a frame of reference for any youngsters that were coming with bars and were like actually from the hood of Oakland coming with that level of lyricism. And when I saw it, in the form of a 14 year old kid who was just bodying shit it was like whoa and then we met shortly thereafter he's been one of my best friends ever since nice um eric brian dan you have anything before i go into so what's what would you say is like going from like nick song to like becoming like professional like that like what is like your favorite like rhyme that like you came off of the top of your head that you're just like holy shit i just blurted like blurted that out so like as far as off the top of my head i remember um like beyond off the top of my head like actual just bars that i had i remember the first verse that i had that people were like oh he's super nice and this was like in the late 90s i, I had something like and it's so crazy because i haven't tried to remember this or think about it in over 20 years but i was like call me hydro i get you high with my life flow hip-hop's hitchcock the saga of a psycho marauder in night's cloak ganja in my pipe smoke flow like nitro when i flow mike's glow die slow poison is poetic when i wreck it something like that you feel me and i was yeah. like and full and like, at the time you feel me like that like that was nice you feel me like mm -hmm. Uh, honestly, I think it's as good as half the shit out, so I wouldn't say at the time. It still, holds, it. Up. <laughs> it still holds up. Uh, yeah. Brian, Eric? Everybody. I, I want to say, uh, from seeing like videos from like, 2007, 2008, you see like the battle rap uh, videotaping and all of that in its infancy. Was there a specific pivotal moment where you saw it explode, kind of catapult? to where it is now was there one moment for you you're like this is about to take off well it, it was weird so like um i'm sure uh, i'm pretty sure y'all are gonna ask questions about the the jump off world rap championships in 2007 which right. was uh which was a a freestyle battle rap tournament which was eight different cities across the world they had london melbourne australia atlanta houston la new york toronto um and you know there's thousands of kids tried out it was a two-on-two -two tournament and there was the top eight was were selected in each region and um after, and and that was amazing and uh that that really was like a huge uh, no pun intended jumping off point and a bunch of us getting to know each other and recognizing the talent all across the world but before that you know the battle rap scene was kind of like this real small incestuous thing that yeah. only existed mm -hmm. um on street corners and at hip-hop shows and the only evidence that it really existed to the outside world were like shoddy websites with 28.8 uh, kilobyte modem connections that yeah. <laughs> you can download like real low-fi real audio files and things like that and um and after that, it kind of like opened it all up. And well, one of my homies, my boy Direct out there, he was in the Atlanta division, mm -hmm. started this uh, YouTube-based battle rap league called Grind Time. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and when that launched, 
I was kind of like, at first when he brought it up, I was like, nah, I don't think this is really going to take off. It's like, I, I think wow. you got a cool idea there, but I don't really think anyone's going to be down for it. I don't really know if it's going to have legs. And then um, I remember they started doing little battles. Nobody was really paying attention. And then one of them got posted on a recently launched website, which was called World Star Hip Hop. Can, can I guess, I'm sorry to cut you off, can I guess which one it is? If I, was it Mosh, Jelton, and Johnny Storm? My man knows what he's right. talking about. That's that battle points, brownie points. That battle was fucking phenomenal. Uh, like, yeah. that, phenomenal. And the thing that impressed me beyond, like, yeah, they both were really dope and had a high skill level for two cats that I hadn't seen before, but it, it, it got 40,000 views overnight on YouTube. Now those numbers are, like, not big at all, but at the right. time, well, that was enough to get my attention and realize there might be something here. And I also uh, thought that me and all of my homies, the aforementioned dudes and some other guys that, uh, that were mentioned earlier, out west i felt like we had we were just as good if not better than them dudes so it was then i was like well let me start a west coast branch of this league and we wound up doing it and it, it exploded from there it went crazy now what did you did you stop battling and to host on like purpose i know like how did that work did you like uh, eric i bet you were gonna ask them yeah, i was gonna ask that yeah because like i remember like scott introduced me to all of this he would come over with a four dollar jug of gin and so <laughs> better watch this stuff and we would watch it and i just like i was later to the game so i remember you uh kind of there like uh I guess would you say the host, yeah. co-host, co-host. <laughs> I started googling you a little bit more when I found out you were coming on the show, and I saw that you were actually a battle rapper yourself and all that. <laughs> so, what was that transition like to piggyback off Scott? Well, the the thing is this. So, like, I've always been an independent artist and been you know i've been making music for over 20 years now and been in various crews, hip hop groups, and all that, and um. And battling is something that came naturally to me and I always thought was just an important skill set. It's not like every MC has to battle, but if you're able to do that, you're able to garner so much more attention from a battle than you would actually putting out. You know, like if, if, you, if you do a song, you might have like a handful of people listening to it, but a battle is going to get way more eyes on, on you. So I would do it to help promote the crew and all that. And I, you know, because we never felt my, my, my original crew that I was first with, we were called Delmon to Lincoln Monastery. And uh, we, we never felt like we fit in with the local landscape of the scene. So we're like, you know, instead of trying to get booked by these other dudes, let's throw our own shows. So I had already been hosting events and things of that nature since like 2003, 2004. So I continued to do that as well as battle. And then I realized um, if I, if, at that time, when Grind Time was getting launched in 2008, if we wanted it to go um, to be as big as it could, it needed somebody to be steering the ship and organizing it. And it's not like I'm like some super business savvy, like Sven Gali or anything of that nature. Like I was just like the the most motivated and organized of my slacker ass group of friends mm -hmm. who happened to be really talented. So I was like, you know, I feel like I could either throw my throw my hat in the ring as a battler and just and be amongst several other people doing the same thing or kind of try to position all my homies in a better position and organize all this use one of my traits which uh is like charisma and being entertaining and still promote my music and it will, will be pretty much the same effect so it was a seamless transition it was felt really natural and uh it turned out to be a good strategy Awesome. Brian, you wanna Now you could you could deny to talk about this if you want, but what battle were the judges watching between disaster and frack? Oh uh, he went there really fast. Yeah. <laughs> I had to, I was holding on to it. <laughs> <laughs> Just to jump forward about twelve years. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um you know like battles and i'm not here to defend the judges right, right. in any capacity yeah. and 
whether and I also feel like it's immoral and unethical for me to state my opinion on the battle yeah. as the person curating and organizing it. Like you know what I mean? That's a that's a conflict of interest. Although I'm a I'm a fan first and foremost, right. and Frack did an amazing job, undeniably. Yeah. Whether people want to say he lost or he won, I know the vast majority of people think that he won. Um, him and Disaster are both good friends of mine. Now, uh, I don't know if any of y'all have ever been to an event and seen Disaster battle in person. No. I'll say it's a very different experience, and the camera does him very little justice. Right. His command of energy, his presence, and the way he sells his bars and the way they resonate in the room hits so much harder. I can see the judges being taken over by that whole aura and and not taking into account a lot of Frack's greatness and overlooking it and that being what made them decide. I think the biggest problem beyond that decision was their lack of a cohesive explanation behind it and a lack of a real solid breakdown. Now, that's not a diss to the judges because those dudes are all very, very verified, solidified members of the battle community and the hip-hop community out West. Um, also, that was the... I think there was a lot of other factors at play beyond that, like the judges. We didn't have them separated, which is a mistake that we learned from moving forward, as you saw the, yeah. the next event. Like, So they weren't able to... You know, they were potentially influencing each other. They were delivering their verdict in front of a, the entire event. So mm -hmm. you had people like ice grilling stares through their souls while they're while they're talking and um that's not really an environment conducive to proper judgment right there mm -hmm. i think one of the most unfair things too is and i actually like tweeted this um in defense of organic anybody who's followed i don't know him personally we talked and we had him on but like anyone who's followed him as far as like what he's done for like them to think that he set something up is ridiculously unfair. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. just fucking bullshit. Like the guy has been one of the most like upfront, transparent hosts or uh, communicators as far as the battle community I personally have ever seen. So like, I just want to give him his like due, and he I I can't imagine people like being being assholes towards him as far as that so that that kind Absolutely. of he's an organic's an incredible dude yeah. and has nothing but the best intentions right. and has you know suffered um and put his personal gain secondary to the growth and integrity of the king of the dot brand i mean right. we all have him him in particular out of anybody so it's uh yeah th that that is a ridiculous thing to say i frack knows that's not the case yeah. anybody that's involved knows that's not the case um i think that the fact that people were so passionate about it and rallied behind frack is awesome because now he has so many more eyes on him. Now, obviously, it would have been great for him to remain in the tournament and have that chance at $50,000, but the level of – I'm not sure he would get the same level of attention and fanfare and people riding on his behalf if he had gotten the W right there. Right. So with the judges, like, what type of, like, scorecard are they using to, like, actually, like, judge people? Or, like, is there, like, a fair way of doing it? It's really difficult. That's a good question because at the end of the day, battle rap is a subjective sport. Right. I'm not going to say it's, it's arbitrary because it's not, mm -hmm. but we could both be watching the same things. And if there's mm -hmm. certain attributes that an MC has that I value and you don't, and there's certain ones that you value and I don't, like if mm -hmm. I'm more of a fan of energy and charisma and stage presence and you value punchlines and metaphors, like, and, and two rappers have a somewhat comparable performance, we're going to both say the other dude won. Right. So it's difficult. If anything, I would equate it to like, you know, gymnastics or Olympic figure skating, things of that nature. Plus everyone's on ice skates. No, nah, but um, I, I think that uh, we do have a really intricate scoring system. We have a whole scorecard similar to boxing. Um, that's another mistake that the judges made. And again, this was our first judged event in over 12 years. <laughs> We've been doing exhibition promo battles with the exception of the King of the Dot title for the past 12 years, uh, sorry, eight years since 2012. So it's, you know, um, there's there's definitely a margin for error and an unfortunate learning curve that we had to, that we came up on the wrong side of on that and we learned our lesson and can only strive for improvement moving forward because we care at the end of the day 
all feedback is encouraged and appreciated because we're doing this for y'all. We're providing entertainment for y'all. And we've always looked at ourselves as the people's platform. Right. Um, but like you said, it's all subjective. For instance, it could even be as like simple as somebody saying a line that you know as a punchline, but the other person does. So like, I'm a huge Simpson fan. If someone has like a Homer Simpson punchline, I might be more subjective to like, oh my God, that line won the battle. You know what I mean? Right. So like, Pull up with the Maggie so like because I get that dough like Homer Simpson. Like, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, so, yeah. Because I think Sharon yeah. had a line like in one of his battles where he twisted, it's like ranking Homer's bosses, your dick burns to smithers or right. something. And I was just like, all right. right, that battle's over. It's absolutely over. So like someone who doesn't watch The Simpsons be like, I don't get it. That was stupid. So like you said, it's all subjective at the end of the day. And I think it's important that at the end of the day, because it's hard with those cultural references and it's, and sometimes certain artists will make a choice to reference. It might be the most intricate and clever bar, but if, if it doesn't land and the, and the judges and the fans watching it don't understand what you're saying, then it doesn't really hold gravity like that. Mm. Uh, I want to go back 12 years. Um, I know we jumped. Um, now, I know Direct and Poison Pen have done, like, YouTube videos on this. Um, maybe you could give your insight. What happened with Grind Time, in your opinion? Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, there's, there's a lot of fingers that can be pointed in all directions. You know what I mean? All I can do as a man is assume responsibility and accountability in the areas that I fell short because like I, what I've done for the past several years is just blame everybody else for what they did wrong and um, I whether or not I still believe that at this point is, is somewhat irrelevant I think the most concise way to break it down is the three of us that were running the company were all in our mid to late 20s and didn't have a college degree barely between the three of us had no business experience running a corporation and were in way over our heads and happened to just strike gold on something that resonated on a cultural level, a new culture that didn't really uh, have any means of being monetized. And we didn't really know how to control it. It grew too fast for us. Oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because um, it, it kind of seems like grind time. Damn, for you know. I mean, know, it's like, really all Matt Ilz's fault. No, uh, that's okay. <laughs> I was waiting. I was waiting on that. I was trying to <laughs> explain the damn grind time was, is not a dance party. Yeah, I was trying to move. <laughs> on, I, was, I was trying to move on without um, you mentioning Matt Ilz, but yeah, Dan, grind time was before King of the Dot, and I mean mm -hmm. before URL came back and took off. It was like that one lead that kind of. It, it, it formulated the, the jump off, no pun intended again. Mm -hmm. And then Grime Time kind of just disappeared as a battle league. I think it's still around. I don't know. but um, Yeah, well, the thing is this, like, Grime Time, like, the fact that we were so innovative and kind of were the first league to pop off on a on the internet on a, and on an international level, every other league kind of had the liberty of watching what we did right, watching what we did wrong, and then improving upon our formula. Yeah, and then um, mm. I know I blamed Matt. Mm. I, I I half in jest blamed Matt Ills. Like in in the past, like there's a lot of we all kind of like blamed Matt Ills, but you know it was all of our faults in different right. ways. And when things were kind of falling apart, um, Direct, who was the founder, he bounced and started uh, Rap Grid. Rap I Grid. left to yeah. to work with King of the Dot. Poison Pan wound up leaving. Everybody kind of wound up branching off, and then uh, Ills was the last man standing and wound up uh, kind of just riding until the wheels fell off. Uh, God bless him. Hopefully for his sake it picks back up. Um, I do want to touch on other things if you guys have any questions on this subject. I just have one question. When you were battle rapping, you don't have to say who it was towards, but was there ever a line, because we were explaining everything to Dan, who doesn't isn't familiar with battle rapping, how mean it is? You know, like, was, there ever, was there ever a line that you wrote down and you said, I can't fucking say that? You know what I mean? Like, was there anything like you just said, I, that's so... Knowing the type of battle rapper you were, I don't know if you would go that route. I could be wrong, right? I, I don't... Yeah. Um, there's definitely things that I thought, because at the end of the day, it's like this. I might have had something that I could have said that was super mean, but then would it have really, would it have actually been a line that was hard hitting yeah. or would it have been just created an awkward energy and made me look like a dick? Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and I kind of, 
at the end of the day, you could go for shock value or you could just try to win people over with your skill level and charisma. Mm. So that's kind of always the route that I went um, yeah. at the end. And I feel like it's, it's not because of some type of moral compass that I was operating off of. I'm not like better as a human being. It was more like yeah. I realized it wouldn't, I wouldn't wear it well. It might've been yeah. the right message, but it would have been the wrong messenger. I yeah. felt like you were more of a fun battle rap. Like you were, like your energy was more fun. Like it was like, um, but to touch on Eric's thing, was there ever, ever a line said to you that you were like, that's a little overboard or it was like the fun, like the best line towards you. You couldn't help but going, God damn, that was a great yeah. line. That you could that, it's so funny because like before I ever got into competitive battle tournaments and I was just battling fools on the street, I was kind of scared to see like what are the elite MCs going to say to me when I get on stage? Are they going to what are they going to pick apart about me? And then when I got on stage and actually heard and it was like nothing, I didn't take anything to heart. There's never been anything said to me in a battle that legitimately like hurt my feelings to that extent there is things that were so good that that were poignant and made the crowd go crazy and to have hundreds of people going oh and laughing in your face that definitely hits but as far as the con it, it, it was more like damn what do i have to say now to outdo this it was more like a daunting task whether rather than like oh man i'm gonna take my mic and go home you know what i mean right yeah uh brian dan before i touch on something else yeah, I was going to say, how, how do you guys plan out, um, like, the events, like, locations for events? Like, do you kind of have, like, a set, like, all right, I know we can go here and, like, we'll draw this type of crowd. These are the numbers that we're going to get at this place. Like, how do you determine that? Yeah, well, I mean, like, it's, it's something that proved to be very difficult for a long time just because people have a stigma attached to the word hip-hop and the word battle rap. They think it's going to attract um, a criminal element. It's going to be, like, there's definitely, like, subtle and overt racial prejudices that come up when dealing with different venues and promoters and um, and finding an atmosphere that is conducive to this type of uh, programming there's so many different things to keep in mind so many variables like what's the internet connection because we're doing live feeds what's yeah. the um like it, we have to have a venue that we're, that's going to be quiet near the you know we can't like be having our battles near the bar because people are going to be making noise and it's going to compromise the integrity of the footage we have to you know there's so many different factors and like yeah at the end of the day where do we have the most draw where's the most demand it's a there's a real art to it right now during the the whole pandemic the fact that we're even able to we're not doing events like to the open public right now so it kind of um we're doing it strictly for for the the online audience through the twitch live stream mm -hmm. due to our twitch partnership which actually like having to have done these at, and simultaneously make successful events that are a fun atmosphere for people that's so challenging that doing this is actually easy so that's the one thing that like i've like read about you like all day today like is that, like how influential like you are to like the whole like, culture of this so like what is like the next like thing that you see is like because you've seen it through like passing out cassettes to like myspace to now twitch like what do you see is like the next like big thing i think i think we're in the midst of it right now and uh it, it, it's like as technology progresses as the, the different ways that humanity consumes media you know what i mean as all that evolves we try to stay one step ahead and doing these live events on Twitch, which are um, heavily emphasizing fan interaction. The fans are voting. The fans are kind of helping dictate the direction of the way things go. And it kind of creates almost like a personalized experience for the people watching it. That That is where it's at right now. And, um, and in addition to that, battles which are judged no more of these like promo exhibitions just just display of lyricism now this is who's gonna win there's high stakes it's almost like it's like a league you know what i mean like what are the standings who's who's gonna go against who next week and what are the conditions that are gonna make this favorable to one artist as opposed to another i could see it branching off into being different um region regionally based teams going against each other there's so many different ways to flip it how do you do the uh, rankings? So, like, 
for example, like the one like with Frack, like so like how Scott was saying, like he's like a number like sixteen seed going up against like a number one seed. How do you like do that? Is it based off like their views that they have on YouTube or like just is it voted on? Question. Yeah, pri- prior to that, it's, it, a lot of it is determined by just their notoriety, their experience, the um, difficulty of their past opponents, the demand by the fans, and then the arbitrary or like the subjective idea that we have about their individual skill set at the present time. Um, did you ever think that when you were doing the WRCs or back when you were handing out cassettes in the, or doing these battles in these small little alleyways that Drake would actually be at like a battle? You know what I mean? Like, did you ever think it blow up like that? That was correct. I mean, to have the biggest superstar in the world, you're talking about a dude that has outsold the Beatles, a mm-hmm. dude, you know what I mean? Like that has more accolades in music and entertainment across the world. There was like some point a couple years ago where he was number one on five different charts, like the, like the, the reggae charts, the Spanish <laughs> charts, hip hop and R and B, the world music, like that dude to have someone like him say that he's a fan of what we do when he's been influencing the entire world. I didn't realize it would get like that. I remember just like when the, you know, in the early days when MCs that I grew up looking, looking up to and different gangster rappers from the city would like be wanting to show up at events. I thought that was insane. And that was as big as we were going to get. But then when it's international superstars paying attention, it's uh, it, it frames it in a whole different context. Yeah, awesome. Um, I want to get into because before, before we move on from that, um, has anyone bigger? Like, I, well, I don't want to say bigger, but like the same level as Drake, like ever reached out to you guys? Like, let's say, and not just because he is who he is, but like in Eminem, like why doesn't I? This is I get a little upset about things like this because what you guys do is, I mean, it's to me, it's art. I mean, it's also entertainment, but, like, it's an art form to be able to come up with that amount of bars and memorize it and then go do it and perform it. Like, there's so many elements to it, and I feel like it should be a lot bigger than it is, you know? And, like, you have someone like Eminem who came from that place, and, like, you're going to say, okay, well, he's he's the lyrical guy, he's a rap god, this and that. Well, why isn't he coming to something like that and being like, all right, let's make this bigger? Lush, careful, you do have a business to run, so. <laughs> so, so my- that was a good question. It's a good question. So every single, every single top-tier legendary MC in the world has experienced has spoken about their love of battle rap, how they watch our battles. Jay-Z said it, you know what I mean? Kendrick has popped up at events before. Um, and Eminem, you got to keep in mind, he was the executive producer of the film right. Body. Yeah, Body. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? He did the Total Slaughter event. So Eminem does reach out to the culture in whatever limited capacity he chooses to. Yeah. Obviously, it would be dope if he, as involved as M wants to be, you know, that would be incredible. But, the fact that those dudes have even acknowledged it and pay attention to what we're doing, that is rewarding in and of itself. Yeah, I can see that. Um, which is awesome as a fan who's watched from 06. I mean, maybe even before that, I was watching, I think, Sirius and Mook and like the shoe store back right. then, like Smack DVD and like 03 and whatever. But, um, you know, as someone who's a fan, it's just awesome to see it uh, elevate. I've never had the balls to actually step into a league or ring. I, I just love it, though. I'm happy that it's gotten to this for you guys. Um, the, Your sobriety, I want to touch on. You said it was, <laughs> you're comfortable speaking about that. Um, what exactly? Exactly. How bad were you? Um, not to say that there's like levels to it, but and when did you realize you needed to just like get help for it? That was my question. Oh, there's that levels to it for sure. There's yeah. levels to it, and I slid very far down the scale. Um, I, you know, I've I went to treatment for my first time in a juvenile detention center when I was 16 years old. I went to nine different treatment centers between the ages of 16 and 19, and then after that, I've kind of just been ripping and running and uh the fact that i've even been able to have any semblance of success despite my debilitating addiction is actually crazy i don't even know how i got out of bed and when i think of what i was putting into my body you know i've been addicted to pretty much every drug there is at one point or another and um 
And I was pretty much, uh, you know, if it wasn't for my fiance coming and basically like scraping me off the pavement, like uh, the Ren and Stimpy show with a spatula after you get yeah. ran over by a steamroller. That was life. Just ran over me with a steamroller. My fiance, Marissa, shouts to her. She really helped bring me out the gutter. But at the end of the day, like they say, no human power can restore us to sanity when we're in uh, that mind state. So I really, um, I, I just hit a bottom. I was living a life where honesty wasn't even, I, I was incapable of being honest. I didn't care about what happened to me. I was uh, using people however I could had been, you know, done everything from been selling dope for years to robbing people to um, kind of just destroying credibility that I had in the industry that I helped create. And um, my whole life was in shambles. And I decided back, uh, you know, due to the advice of my fiance and my family, which I had kind of thwarted for years, I finally had just had enough. And it's funny because they caught me slipping because what had happened was um, I had ran out of drugs and I was like, in one, that, that's a really, that's a vulnerable time for an addict right there. It's a good time to get in their head because you'll agree to just about anything. And at that moment, I agreed to go to treatment, wound up finding some more pills, got back on again, instantly regretted it. But the wheels were already in motion and I was like, fuck it. My life's already just, I, I'm, I feel so shitty. There's, there's nowhere there's the only darker place than this is six feet under. So let me just go to treatment. And I did on the, the 2nd of February of this past year. And I've been sober since February 3rd. And it's been, um, I can't tell you what a difference it feels like. I, I'm actually able to be present. And um, the not only am I able to do my art, my music, my job, as an um, event curator and everything on a much higher level, but I don't have to be ashamed of my actions and I'm not fucking anyone over and I'm living a life of rigorous honesty based on spiritual principles. And that right there is the most rewarding thing I've ever experienced. That's awesome, man. I think like um, just watching you that long, uh, being a host, how you acted maybe at some of the events on stuff, how you act off it, you're the same person as far as energy. And I love that because it just shows that like it wasn't the drugs making you this vivacious host, this lively host. It was actually you as a person. So like that's really cool to see how you could actually be the same person off it, man. Thank you. And that means a lot because I was scared about that. I was like, is this is this like is, is this the reason why I'm like this? Do I just act a fool because I'm on one all the time? Mm. And is that, am I not really charismatic? Is the drugs bringing it out of me? But actually, if anything, all that shit was hindering my energy level, was mm. hindering my uh, wit and charm and all of that. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. like, I didn't realize that it was something I was definitely afraid of and i had to walk through that fear and uh, not only that like you know when i step in the booth and record when i rap on stage like all of that i'm able to do at a much higher capacity it feels incredible yeah and since and since you have experience of being in front of crowds and you're comfortable with crowds have you ever thought about maybe going on tour or going to people and explaining your story as far as sobriety and, and kind of be like a positive light to people yeah, I would love to. Um, so when I was in treatment, I don't know if uh, y'all are familiar with this dude. He was a he was an NBA player for the Celtics, Chris Heron. Um, he was a he's from Massachusetts, and he was like a legend in high school and shit. And he wound up becoming a bad heroin addict, and it and it ruined his career. And he now does that. He's like a he's a motivational circuit speaker, um, uh, carrying the message of. 12 steps sobriety through alcoholics and narcotics anonymous. And I definitely like, you know, I, I speak to panels of people all the time. I go to, um, I go to, um, the YMCA and things like that. You know what I mean? Um, and talk to addicts on a weekly basis. So it's something that is, it's not only do I do it, um, to help them, but it helps me because an imperative part of the recovery process is carrying the message. It's, it's not just, mm -hmm. it's not just me being altruistic. It's me saving my own life by reaching out to help others. It's the only way I'm going to stay sober. Yeah. And if you, if you catch yourself reaching for that bottle or reaching for whatever you're into, is there like a, a reverse coping mechanism? Like, do you go for a run? Do you listen to music? Do you call somebody like, what's your, what's your so, kind of route? 
That's a good question. So basically working like what I do is I work a very rigorous program, you know what I mean? Which uh, entails a lot of prayer and meditation, um, nightly inventory, talking to a sponsor, doing all these things, doing service work, which I just outlined. So doing all those things, that's what keeps me in spiritual fitness as to where I don't, I'm, I don't have urges like that. And when I do have thoughts like, damn, I had a dream about doing blow last night. I hold myself accountable. I talk to people about it. And instantly that takes away a lot of the power. But me remaining spiritually fit, like, you know, when I went back to L.A. last time for the for the King of the Dot event and I was recording some music out there, I was around a lot of, and not at the event, but just the people I was around outside of that who are homies of mine I grew up with and all that. You know, there was, I was in environments where people were smoking weed the whole time. People were drinking. People were even doing coke in front of me. And I didn't have have a single urge to do that because I'm spiritually fit and I'm working this program. If I wasn't, and if I was slipping, it's like, it's like trying to carry a piano. If you don't go to the gym, if you go to the gym, you're working out every day. You know what I mean? Like you're physically fit. You're able to lift things. I wouldn't be able to carry that burden that the urges would, um, would put upon me if I wasn't spiritually fit. So that's like, yeah. it's all about maintaining that rigorous program. Yeah. And is it, is it frustrating to, to hear people think that it's like a crutch? Like, oh, you don't, addiction is not a real thing. Alcoholism isn't a real thing. Like you could stop if you wanted to. Is it kind of like experiencing that? Is it kind of frustrating to hear people say things like that? Cause they, to be honest, I used to be like that. I used to say that a lot until yeah. I, until I uh, witnessed more people uh, closer to me, if not, or uh, friends of people that went through it. So, like, I, I have to admit, I used to be one of those people. So, yeah. I apologize. Hey, look, I apologize. No, yeah. no, no. Look, look. All I got to say to those people is it must be nice. And yeah. God bless you for not having to deal with that affliction. You're very lucky. Yeah. Christian scientists believe that even if you have cancer or a terminal disease, if you pray hard enough, that shit's going to go away. You know what I mean? Like, so like, do I think that those people are batshit crazy? Well, no, that's, they're entitled to their beliefs. Just like people are entitled to believe that addiction is not a real thing to me. Unfortunately, I wish, I wish I was like that, but unfortunately addiction was very real for me and it hit me. And, um, I wish that there, I wish I could say that I didn't have to deal with that. And there was another cure than, me going to treatment and uh, having to detox off of all the things that were hindering me for years and mm -hmm. literally changing my entire, having a psychic change is what they call it, like an entirely different outlook on life. But I don't judge people that think like that. I just hope for them that they never have to be proven wrong because mm -hmm. it's because it's a very difficult and, a, you know, it's, it's just as dangerous as any affliction you could possibly have. So with yeah. the opportunity that you've, basically giving yourself to like reflect on everything that you've done. Like, what would you say like is the thing that like you're most proud of like in your like career of like accomplishing? Cause you've accomplished so much. So like what would be like the one thing that you're like, Holy shit. I like knocked this out of the park. I, it's crazy because everything that I've done, that's a good question, man. You're killing it, Dan. I didn't know he's, uh, yeah, he's great. Dan. <laughs> Dan with the inside outsider's perspective. <laughs> now, um, it's great because I feel like everything I've done has somewhat been hindered by my addiction. So nothing I've done has been at its full potential. I'm more looking forward to what I'm going to do next than awesome. resting the laurels of what I've accomplished. Um, the fact that I've featured on a record that is a platinum plaque in France and was able to tour all of Europe uh, on the strength of that record and um, got notoriety, not just for my accolades within battle rap, but musically as well that's something that i'm very proud of that's awesome man uh brian did you have anything or? oh no i was i was gonna say that i like the comparison that you made with uh with the exercise especially mm -hmm. with um you know keeping the mindfulness even when you're put in scenarios like that where you may come across like you know i feel something coming back up but it's a the spiritual practice and constantly being present and in the now and being mindful of no, I'm stronger than this. I'm bigger than this. I can move past it. You know, that's that's something that I took away from what you were saying because I grew up, my, my mom was an alcoholic and she passed away from it eight years ago. So 
I was actually one of those people that was kind of like, I think addiction is bullshit. I think that, you know, it's ridiculous. You have a choice until, you know, I kind of stepped back from it. And this was years after she had passed away. And I, I took a step back from it and I said, you know what, maybe she really did have more stuff going on and that this was not a choice that she was consciously making day to day to kind of destroy herself. And maybe she lost control of it. And it, it made me change how I viewed everything. And I became more empathetic to people that are addicted to things. And it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be a drug or an alcohol. You can be addicted to exercise. You can be addicted to soda. You can be addicted to walking in your front door 20,000 times a day, whatever it is, you know? So hearing you talk about it like that, I, I see a lot of it with what I grew up with and I, I can relate to it in a sense. No, that makes perfect sense. And I think that, uh, you know, that's part of the grief process is you're going to, you're going to be angry when something mm -hmm. like that happens and you experience the, the negative ramifications of somebody's addiction, especially the, the worst you could possibly go through damn near is losing them. And then, um, and then of course there's going to be resentment that comes along with that. And, um, towards that person and the whole entire situation. So I, I totally, understand and uh, identify and empathize with that as well and i think that it's a huge testament to your strength of character that you were able to overcome that and now have a broader more um loving perspective on the situation because at the end of the day you know we all do have a choice as addicts to use or not but then when the when the urges become so powerful and it's it's you know at the end of the day like for me what, not to sound corny, what I've been able to, what's offset it for me is God and having a spiritual connection in my life and living in gratitude. Like these things, that's what I do. Like I pray on a daily basis multiple times and I pray from a place of gratitude, thanking God for everything that I have and the opportunities that I have and the ability to lead more people on a positive path and through my talent and having these eyes on me due to my talent. And, and not only that, things that I want, not on a selfish level, but just things that I want for the world and things that I, you know, strive as far as starting a family and all that. Like I pray for it in the present tense, like it's already here, thanking God for things that I want, which is simultaneously like manifesting positivity you know what i mean so that's th that right there not not to be corny and be like god is my anti-drug but that's like that's essentially what it is though you know what i mean that all of us as addicts really i believe all human beings have a god-sized hole that they're either going to fill with positive things or negative things you know what mm -hmm. i mean they're either going to fill that with spirituality fill that with things that fulfill us as individuals and make uh, and, and help us add to the stream of life and add to the positivity of the world instead of just taking from it or we're going to wind up doing things like using drugs gambling yeah. being sex addicts all these things which wind up these vices which spiral out of control into unmanageability yeah after uh anthony bourdain killed himself i was listening to a podcast with uh jim norton i don't know if you're familiar with him he's a hilarious comedian but he struggles with addiction and, and suicide and all that and he said it's like when you wake up, you walk out of bed, and you see this big black hole next to your bed, right? Every day you have to walk past that, and you think, I could just jump in that right now, whether it's suicide, drugs, alcohol. So people who have no idea what any of that is like, they, have, they, they don't understand, but that people literally walk past that multiple times a day, you know? And it's just kind of interesting. I feel like society is waking up to that type of you know, interaction with other people. But like, I feel like not too long ago, five, 10 years ago, people were like, oh, it, it, you, you have the choice to stop. You know not to put a needle in your arm. You know not to buy a bottle of vodka when the doctors are saying, this could be your last bottle. You know, and it, I feel like it's more, it's starting to become more, not accepted, but understood, which is very- Yeah, I think that there's a, that's very true. And I think due to, due to the fact that we've lost so many legends, to suicide and um, self-harm and drug addiction. I think that society's kind of had to up their awareness collectively as far as mental health. And I think that's an important trend that we need to continue to um, educate future generations about, because the shit don't get better. 
unless yeah. you unless you get better. Mm -hmm. uh, all right, Lush, just to lighten the mood a bit, um, we like to do a segment. Before we get to you plugging your music and stuff like that, we do a segment at the end. It's called a gun to your head segment. It's like a this or that. Um, but we kind of do a little wordplay twist on it. It's not your typical Coke or Pepsi type thing. We kind of mm -hmm. ask you questions. You got to pick which one you'd rather choose. And you got to pick a winner at the end of what question you think was the best. Okay? Easy call. Okay. So I'm Scott. I will go first. <laughs> Always got to throw your name out there just in case the guest is <laughs> All right. So for one year, would you rather use pencil shavings to write? Or shave with a pencil. Oh, I'm just show using pencil shavings to write off top because, like, <laughs> the, the sad reality is most of us write in our damn phones anyway. So you know what I mean. Oh, that's I, fair. I got sensitive skin, and I'm Italian, so my beard grows kind of quick. So um, the pencil shavings would not suffice. I would look like uh, Rip Van Winkle within a matter of weeks. <laughs> okay. Would you rather own one Nintendo 64 or 64 Nintendos? <laughs> I would rather own 64 Nintendos to keep it a stack because, I, A, I believe the Nintendo – the regular NES console is a superior system as far as just maybe it's my nostalgia, but I like those games better. You know what I mean? Like original Final Fantasy, all that. And oh, I could sell 63 of them. That's it. I <laughs> thought you were going to say something like that. Uh, Brian, let's get you up here. So for a year, would you rather have to wear sweatpants or a wetsuit? Oh, I'm for show. Wearing the sweatpants, yeah. you feel me? Like, used to catch the hoe slipping with the tight gray sweatpants anyway. You know what I mean? So it's all good. I'll just, you know, I'll have to get a new rape whistle and a couple restraining orders, but I'm rocking the sweatpants. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, would you rather be labeled as a cut above or a stone's throw away? Hmm. Ooh. I think a cut above because a cut above, you know, unless we're talking about a C-section, tends to imply... <laughs> tends to imply that you're, you know, operating on a higher frequency than the rest. And I would rather be that than not quite achieving, you know what I mean? Which a stone's throw away tends to imply. All right, mm. Eric, you're up. Well, I hate that Brian said sweatpants, so I'll use that in my second question. Would you rather belly flop from 30 feet or flop freestyle in front of 300 people? Oh, you know what? I don't like uh, I have so much security when it comes to my lyrical ability and um, my artistic arsenal. So I'll, I'll flop in front of a room of 300 people because, you know, in my late 30s, I think a belly flop might lead to some broken ribs. <laughs> yeah, you might break a rib. Okay. Would you rather wear sweatpants every day or forever? Sorry. Would you rather wear sweatpants every day forever or sweat every time you have to wear pants? Mm, okay, I see the wordplay on that one. I know, um, but that's cool. You, you know, um, as long as I have an ample supply of uh, right guard and speed stick, I think that I'll just sweat because I like to have an array of different uh, pantalones. But having an unfresh bottom half is. <laughs> All right, we'll go with uh, apparently Lush One's favorite guest. We'll go with Dan here to finish it off. <laughs> Would you rather be chased by a T-Rex or have tea with a guy named Rex? Um, just so I could actually, you know, Jurassic Park's one of my favorite um, films as a kid. So, you know what I mean? Like having to, to get to experience, <laughs> to get to experience really being there and seeing a T-Rex, like I think it's worth the chase. See, I mean, like they got short arms. I feel like if I got close enough, you might not be able to. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then um, for the rest of your life, would you rather be chili or eat chili? Hmm. Mm, I think I'd rather be chili. I got acid indigestion, you know what I mean? Oh. That, that, that heartburn is, you know, I'm already a cold motherfucker, so I can all handle being chili. Uh, all right, Lush, you got to pick a winner. Who is your, what was your favorite question out of them all? I hate to do this to y'all, but my man Dan came out. Yeah. Oh, the first he one? really did. That's his first. That's his first victory. Dan Knight. Dan Knight. Okay. 
Hey, Lush. No bias. No bias. <laughs> Lush, plug your stuff. Where can we catch your music? Um, you know, your Instagram, stuff like that. Uh, Lush, O-N-E-C-A on Instagram. Lush, O-N-E on Twitter. Uh, search Lush One on all streaming services. Run my music, my latest singles called Four and a Baby, produced by Marv One. There's a video on YouTube. Uh, my upcoming album, Hyams, which is my last name, drops in a couple months. I'm super excited about that. I have my whole style of music, which is called L.A. Noir Audio Cinema. It's like real grimy hip-hop with like a cinematic twist, I would say. It's the best way to describe it. And um, yeah, just peep game and stay tuned into the tournament, tapped into all the moves. Hey, Lush, man, for someone who's been watching you 13, 14 years, this was an honor talking to you. So thanks a lot for coming on, man. Thanks, I man. appreciate thanks it. Shouts to everybody. Much love to all y'all. I'm down to come back anytime. And just to clarify from earlier, man, no ill will towards Matt Ills. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah. like I, I, I wish him the best with whatever he's got going on. And it's an honor to be able to work with my brother direct again under the context and the umbrella of this King of the Dot tournament. So things full circle. And uh, you know what I mean?